We can hang out, talk about it. If you maybe your your background isn't Christianity and you're just trying to explore and figure out spirituality, I'd love to sit down and just answer some questions. Maybe ask you some questions if we can go back and forth. But happy Mother's Day to mothers out there. We thank you so much. Uh, one of the things, though, if you're coming to Grace and Peace that hopefully you will figure out is one of our values is, is that we, we value the gospel. Uh, the gospel is uh, the good news of Jesus, and it's not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A through Z. It's not just the door of Christianity, it's the whole house. If you do not have the good news about Christianity, you don't have Christianity, if uh, you kind of, maybe your impression has been that Christianity is about, you know, you need to know these few rules, or maybe it was Jesus only gets you so far, now you have to do a bunch of other stuff, then maybe you're missing out. And so the, gos- the gospel is everything. The gospel is good news that changes everything. And so we won't shy away from that. And that's what we're going to be talking about every week. Uh, sometimes you may even think, man, that guy's sermons awfully sound the same every week. It's because I believe that the, all of the Bible is pointing to Jesus, the good news. And so I won't shy away from that. And so for these past few weeks, we've been looking at these seven signs and seven statements that Jesus had made about himself. And they show that Jesus isn't just a counselor giving you good coping techniques for this traumatizing world. He isn't just a self-help writer helping you discover the best version of yourself. He isn't your best friend there to affirm you and to go on epic adventures together and have selfies. No, John writes about Jesus and he arranges his gospel to record and prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's everything your heart ever desired and needed, and he's more than that. He's come to put the world to rights. He is a rescuer of the world. And he's also, if if he says that he's a rescuer of the world, he's saying that you yourself need to be rescued. You're in a perilous situation, and he's come to put it to rights. And so... And Jesus comes in and he declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is, then you see this juxtaposition throughout John, wherever he goes and says, there is light versus darkness. There is life versus death. And they're opposed to each other. And so here's where he's going. He's trying to say, this is, this is the opposite. If you have light, if you trust in Jesus, if you embrace me, Jesus says, then you will have light and you will also have life. You'll be alive, really alive, which then presupposes that maybe you're dead. Maybe this world dwells in darkness. Maybe it does need a rescuer. And so he's challenging you, putting you into a corner. And so, where you can't just say that Jesus is, is just a good counselor, he's not just giving you good advice, Jesus is saying, I have come to rescue the world, will you trust me? Will you trust me? 
And so this is very startling. And then you know it's startling because the Pharisees, they're like, whoa, dude, what are you thinking? You know, saying you're the light of the world. And so they want to know. Their question is, who the heck do you think you are? And I think the Pharisees are asking the right question. Who do you think you are? Maybe we all need to write this. We need to ask that question. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Who do you think you are? And then listen to what he says. He says, I'm the light of the world. And then this is a, a, a he, he begins to explain it. And this reminds me, though, this whole situation reminds me of a particular car trip that I had. My kids are obviously in the back seat. My wife is in the passenger seat. And then you hear someone pipe up in the back, I can't see! It's dark! And I'm like, well, no, duh, the, sound, the sun has went down. Why? Because... I'm not Jesus, and so I'm not polite and nice. And so, like, that's what happens when the sun goes down and the kid starts going. He's like, no, no, what do you mean? I can't see. How are we going to get there? How do you know where we're going? I can't see. And I'm like, don't worry. I can see. I've got lights on. They're like, but I don't have any lights on. I can't see. I can't see. And then I... Ended up piping up and asking this question. Do you trust me? You don't have to see. You don't have to see. Do you trust me? Isn't that a scary position? Can you imagine being one of my kids? Dad, like, I can't see. Dad's like, that's all right. I got it. I can see. What does that have to, what does this have to do? It means, it means, it that we have to start, we have to realize who are we trusting in? What is this person like? Does he have our best interests in, in mind? How does my child know that I'm not just going to veer off through some guardrail over a cliff into a fiery crash? They have to trust me. They have to trust that, that I have their best interest in mind. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, shall not walk in darkness, Maybe you won't be able to see the, the next step in front of you, but you got just enough light. And you trust that Jesus is going to get you there. He's going to bring you to the other side. And that's the question that all of us have. We're, we're wondering, is this Jesus trustworthy? Does he have my best interest in mind? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, follow me. You know, so we have these moments, either we follow Jesus and trust what he has best for us, or we could follow ourselves. And Jesus would say that that is just groping in the dark, trying to find your way in the dark, in the desolate desert, in the wilderness. And much of the Christian life is learning how to follow and walk in the light instead of self-reliant groping in the darkness, trying to find our way like we're trying to find the bathroom in the middle of the night without any nightlight, you know? And that's what it is. So he says, follow me, I'm the light. And so we got to ask ourselves, you know, who is this person we fo- are we following? Is he trustworthy? Can he make the right judgments to get me there? Am I going to trust his judgments or my judgments? And so when Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world, he is identifying himself as what the Jews would understand as Yahweh, the covenant Lord, the God who betrothed himself to them and said, I'm with you, I got you. And he gives himself 
and says, I'll be with you. I'm going to be present with you. And the way this shows up is when we read in Exodus in chapter 13, he would lead the people out of Egypt in this fiery pillar at night so they could travel and see in darkness and to scare the heck out of the Egyptians. I don't know if, like, hey, let's go get those people. All right, I'll go do what Pharaoh says. And then suddenly I see a fiery pillar, like, leading these people. I'm like, nah, they good. I'd be out, you know? I'd be, I'd be done. And so, so that, that was the thing. So people were probably, at this time, they, in the Exodus community, they're wondering, we're going to follow the fiery pillar? You got us out of Egypt? Or are we going to trust ourselves to make our way in the darkness? And so when Jesus says that he's the light of the world, whoever follows me, he's echoing back, he's evoking this Exodus story, this Exodus narrative. He's saying he is the fiery pillar, whatever that looks like, whatever that means. He's saying he is the one who's going to bring them out of the wilderness, through the wilderness, through all the scary stuff, through all the darkness, through all the difficulty in this world. He's going to deliver them to the other side. That's what he means. So he identifies himself as light, and that is opposed to this darkness And here's the thing, whenever you see light and darkness, we have light here, so darkness kind of flees, it kind of pushes its way out, and it's judgment on darkness whenever light comes. And in ancient Near Eastern texts, darkness would always mean judgment. It means judgment, and they were afraid cast fear into people. If they were to go out into darkness, that means God is leading us out into darkness. He's going to let us die. We've been judged. But here he is, he's saying, I am the light. And we think about this also spiritually. If we have spiritual light that is opposed to spiritual darkness, and here's the deal. We think about, like, spiritual darkness. Oftentimes we think about, like, oh, you know, it's probably someone selling drugs on the corner or doing something secretive on their computer. But what if darkness is even deeper than that and scarier than that? What if darkness is actually your good deeds, too? All your goodness. All this kind of self-righteous building up of my own little resume to try and prove myself to God and say, I'm acceptable because I do X, Y, and Z. What if that is spiritual darkness too? And Jesus comes to shine a light on that and says, it's not good enough. Not good enough. God in his word is identified as light. It says in Psalm 119, your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. We follow him through darkness. We may not get it. It may not look practical. It may be difficult, but we follow him. Jesus also intent in, in kind of in this text, he will identify himself as this end time servant, which when we think about light and the way it does something, light exposes darkness, doesn't it? It shows dark deeds. So what's happening is he's exposing darkness them to judgment. And if Jesus says that he's the light of the world, it also means that he is the judge. And it ought to make us quake a little bit. And he identifies himself as this end time judge that they were waiting for in Isaiah. 
So his light reveals, his light leads to life, but his life will also consume like a fire. It'll consume all the evil, and it'll purify every one of us. Ultimately, Jesus identifies himself as the light, and he's identifying himself as the judge. And this is, this is really difficult for, all, for us here in the West, Western United States, and, and just, just Western culture in general. You know, we're all comfortable with loving God. Everyone comfortable with loving God? God's loving. Real comfortable with that. But, you know, we're even comfortable with a God, oh, he's going to judge those guys, those bad people. But what about ourselves? It gets real uncomfortable when you start to think about your life and what is God going to judge about yourself, doesn't it? You start to sweat a little bit. You start to remember like that one thing I did, oh crud. Or what if God knows this about me? You start to sweat about it. You know, but there we are and what we do is, and you know this, everyone here, we like to judge other people. Why? Because it gives us this verdict that we want. It allows us to say to ourselves, oh, I'm okay. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than that terrible driver out there. You know, I'm better than those people on Twitter who cast judgments on everybody else, but at the same time, I'm casting judgment on them. Guess what? If you're following the light, that's exposes darkness too. And it's troubling. It's difficult. I once heard it said by a woman who we celebrate today. She's uh, my wife, and she, she, you know, Mother's Day. And she once said, you know, if there is no God in the world, what hope is there for all the darkness and injustice in this world? But if there is a God, what hope is there for all the darkness and injustice in my heart? And the answer is the same. It's Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And so when Jesus says that he's the light of the world, he is saying that he is God. And God is a judge. He's the judge we can't live with, and he's the judge we can't live without. He's the judge we can't live with, and he's the judge we can't live without. Yes, I'm invoking you too here. Okay? You know, with or without you, come on. Oh my gosh. So Jesus, the light, he's the presence of God. He was the presence of God in their midst, and he shows up as a fiery pillar. So the first questions the Pharisees ask are basically, who do you think you are to say you are God? You're just bearing witness about yourself. And then Jesus says, hey, look, I can bear witness about myself because I do not judge on my own. I do what the Father does. And how do I know that I do exactly what the Father does? Is because that's where I'm from. I'm from the Father. And people are like, wait, 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 wait. Time out. We need two or three witnesses. He's like, you don't need those kind of witnesses because I'm the authority. I am the judge. You judge based on the flesh with perceptions with your eyes. That's what you judge with. And we, everyone here, we judge the same way, don't we? You know, we judge according to the flesh. But Jesus says, and this is really interesting, if you go down to chapter 8, verses 24 and 28, he'll say this little phrase. He says, I am he. I am he. You know, here's the difficulty. 
in Isaiah 43.10, it says that you will know that I am He. Before me, there are no other gods. And so Jesus just said that He is God in the flesh, and it ought to make everyone really uncomfortable. He's a fiery pillar. He's coming to judge. He says, you judge this way. But then he says this strange thing. He says, I judge no one. What in the world does that mean? I judge no one. You want to know why? He doesn't have to sit there and pronounce judgments on you. Your case has already been made. Your case has already been made. Why? Because all of our deeds, whether good or bad, are all done in darkness. And they're all exposed. Try and win your approval before God and you will be exposed. It's not good enough. He says you judge according to the flesh. If you think about these Pharisees, the Pharisees believed that when God came back and visited his people, they were going to be vindicated because they followed the law, because they followed Torah. Ah, those are the good people. Boom. He's going to love me because of all the wonderful things I did. And then he's going to destroy those nasty Romans and all those evildoers. Mm. But Jesus shows up because God in the flesh. And he says, you're only doing dark deeds. I have much to judge about you is what he ends up saying. I have much to judge about you. You've already been judged. You know, we're similar today. And here's the thing. You know, we, we want to be vindicated We want to be vindicated, but here today, the the thing that we do is something called moralistic therapeutic deism. A sociologist named Christian Smith says, uh, we pass this religion on to our kids pretty easily. Moralistic meaning, God basically wants you just to be good. That's, That's the view of the world. Just be good enough. Just a little bit good enough and tip the scales in your favor. Everyone could be a good person. And then it's therapeutic. So God is also there to make you feel good whenever you're blue and sad. And then he's there to pray for you. And that's, that's basically it. And it's deism. He's not really involved in the day-to-day. In the end, the scales will be in your favor. That's the religion of this world, as Christian Smith says. You know, But Jesus would say to them and to us, You will die in your sins. You'll die in your sins. The verdict has been cast. The gavel has been hit. You're guilty. You've been living in darkness. He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, talking to the Pharisees. You know, we are all validated or condemned. We're all validated or or condemned. And Jesus just basically said, everybody stands condemned unless they're in the light. You know, here's the thing. When light is shined into our life, imagine if everything about you was known to the person sitting next to you. Imagine if it was all confessed. You'd have to say it doesn't add up. You would feel unbearably naked and afraid, wouldn't you? At least I would. You'd feel feeble, vulnerable, exposed. And at this point, when people point out, you know, Christians are hypocrites because they judge, yeah, 
Why? Because they know, and in, 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 uh, non-Christians would know, that Christians, like in light of judgment, they are as exposed and immoral as anybody else. And at every moment, we, though we pass judgment as if judgment has been passed on us. We can't live with this judge. Uh, let me put it this way. Imagine if you were, uh, I don't know, your life was based on basketball skills. You know, uh, maybe like I'm approved because I'm a decent basketball player as a Filipino. Like national sport is basketball. I'm five foot eight. I'm never going to get any taller than that. Most people are nev- not even above five foot six in the Philippines. You know, and so they're okay at basketball. But then if you were to like show up and play Michael Jordan in his prime, you're going to be exposed, aren't you? Your skills aren't going to matter that much. You know, and here's the deal. Like, think about it in school. You know, maybe you did really good at homeschool, and you got all A's. Good job. But then you show up to Harvard one day, and what happens? You're, you're going to be undone. Why? Because there's going to be someone smarter than you. You're exposed. And so when God shows up, all your morality and immorality is exposed. It's not good enough. You know, imagine living in comparison to Jesus. You have to live in light of Him. And if it was just based on your performance, guess what? You're damned. All your flaws will come out. And here's the, this is the strange thing about the mystery of love, though. How can someone know everything about you and still love you and still be committed to you? And God says, I'm still committed to you. Uh, this next week, I'll be married for 14 years. My wife knows more about me than anyone else. Yeah, congratulate her. God's, <laughs> God, is, God is definitely present with her. Um, and so, here's the thing. She knows everything about me. And still I wonder, how in the world can she stick with me? Judgment has come in. She knows everything. And every time I look at her and see her love and grace toward me, it reminds me of God's love toward us and toward me. How in the world? I am judged every time I have to look at myself in the mirror. And ask myself, am I worthy of that kind of love? It's not because of my morality. God loves you because he loves you. And that makes you worthy. Uh, I've been living life as a pastor for, I've been in ministry for about 13 years. Of, you know, and so whenever anyone asks me, what do you do? I'm always really afraid. I'm all like, I'm a pastor. And then the strangest thing happens. They automatically feel judged. Do you want to know how I know they feel judged? Because they say strange things. <laughs> this is what happens. They're like, uh, well, uh, one time I helped at the Springs Rescue and, and I volunteer a lot. I'm like, I, is this a confessional booth? Like, I, okay. You know, because that's, he, notice that instinct. Somehow, it feels like the presence of God had showed up in the room, and then what is our first thing to do? We want to confess. We want to, want to say, approve of me. God shows up, and we can't even live with that presence. 
We can't live with that judge. So what do we do? What do we do? We've got to be very careful about how we judge others. When we judge others, are we, it doesn't demonstrate a trust and love in Jesus' judgment on us. Jesus shows up into your life because he loves you and he sticks with you and he dies for you. Not because you got it all together or because you're more moral than the person that you live next to. If he was to pass that judgment, the judgment you hold everyone else to, the same judgment on you, you'd condemn yourself. You know, be careful about how you're justified in your parenting. Are you holding your kids to some kind of strange standard or are you just loving them? Look at the way you work. Are you looking for your work to justify you? To make you a somebody? To make you valid? Or is work just a wonderful, pleasurable thing to do for love of your neighbor? Is it that? What about our romantic lives? Try to vindicate yourself based on your romantic life. That I'm an agreeable person. Someone should love me. You know, or we put ourselves out on there on, on like our match profile and we, we've got this great epic life, like judge me worthy. Can you imagine though living every day in every part of your life like that? One, you'll be exhausted of trying to perform. And two, everyone else around you will be exhausted as well trying to live up to your standards of judgment. But if Christianity is true, if Jesus did die for you, the verdict on your life is in. You're lovable. You're loved. You're free from performance. You don't have to live up to other people. Imagine, though, that maybe, you know, the atheist or the non-Christian is right, though, that there is no judge. Imagine if that was true, that there is no judge. Why are we always playing around trying to get the positive verdict? You will never get a positive verdict. There is no positive verdict if there is no judge. But yet we always live as if we need a positive verdict on our life. We're always asking everybody, approve of me. Justify me, validate me, vindicate my life, make it mean something. But if in the end there's all silence, no judge, no vindication, what is this life for? And it's just silence. And that should be immensely unsettling. If maybe that's your situation, you have these strong objections to Christianity, you have these strong doubts... Here's the question. Maybe you need to question your premises again, that there is no judge. Because deep down, we all want to be vindicated. So he's the judge we can't live with, but he's also the judge you can't live without. Uh, This light, it's fiery judgment. It exposes, it allows you to see things as they are. Uh, This light is like, as Johnny Cash has said, God's presence You know, it is love. And so Johnny Cash is right. Love is a fiery ring. It burns. It consumes everyone in it. You know, the fiery pillar in the desert was God demonstrating that he was going to light the way, that he was going to deliver them. 
And when you are loved by someone so fiercely like that, when you have that vindication, it consumes everything that is impure about you, doesn't it? You want to change. You want to be different. He's saying that he isn't just given an example of the way. No, he's saying he is the way. Every other way is darkness. It'll be judgment. And his presence with the people was all the validation they needed. It was the positive verdict. The God of the universe shows up at a pyre, in, a, in a fiery pillar. And he's present with his people. He delivers them. It was their verdict. And Jesus shows up. And he says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Follow me. I am the positive verdict that you need. I'm everything you need. I'm the one who's going to love you so deeply that it's going to change everything that you're fearful of telling everyone about. You can confess. You don't have to hide and live in shame because he is going to stick with you and he commits himself to you. Isaiah 52, 13 opens up one of the most beautiful parts of Scripture and it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Later in the text, Jesus says, When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He or that I am. And when he talks about lifting up in the book of John, it talks about the time he was crucified. And you will confess that surely this is God. Because who loves like that? Who could have the capital, capital to love you like that? to give himself holy, to be ripped apart, to be hung on a cross, to have nails driven through his wrists and his feet. The word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion, excruciatus. And he gives himself fully in love for you. He allows himself to be ripped apart. And so here it is. He's saying, this is the judgment. I'm sticking with you. Here's the judgment you can't live without. It's the only way you could get the positive verdict for your life. Through him being present with you. You see, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, God positioned two angels with flaming swords at the entrance. It means that no one can come back this way. To enter again into relationship with God would mean that you would have to have the fiery sword of judgment come down on you. It means darkness will have to overcome you. And so on the day that Jesus was crucified, darkness covered the land. And the fiery sword of judgment came on him so that you can enjoy relationship with God forever, so that you can enjoy paradise, life free of shame, 
life beyond your sins. At the cross, at once, we see the penalty for our sin, but we also see his love. The interaction of the two is combustible reaction turned into a raging fire consuming all our sinfulness while leading us through all darkness. At the cross, Jesus is committing himself in love to you, to be present with you. All we have to do is follow him, turn from our darkness. That's what the Christian life is about. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we confess that we need light, that we wander in darkness, that we have darkness in us, but we know that your love will consume that. We know that you are the light of the world showing the way, and not just showing the way, but bringing us along that you will put this world to right, that it will be put together correctly because you will see it through. Lord, we know that this world will be whole again because you were ripped apart into pieces. Lord, I pray that we would be agents of change, wholeness, of peace, that we would shine your light, that we would be reflective agents showing your light and love. Lord, please be with us now as we take this meal, transform it for our nourishment so that we would know your goodness and that this world would know your goodness through us as we go back out into the workplace, as we go back into our homes. Lord, help us. You are gracious. In Christ's name, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is uh, our, uh, first it's my privilege to welcome you to the table, to not just the table of the Presbyterian Church of America and not to uh, the, pre- the table of grace and peace, but this is the table of the Lord and you are welcome to him, if you confess your sins, if you say that I've walked in darkness, but you need him, the light, the true light, then this meal is for you. And so what we do is we will come forward. So these front rows will come to these kind of like center aisles right here, and you'll come and take bread. You'll eat it. And you'll come and take, uh, on the outside is grape juice, and on the inside is wine. You come take and drink And there is uh, gluten-free bread up here, and there's people on the ends to pray. One will be Jeannie, and the other will be Carissa. I forgot to tell her about that. Congratulations. Um, And there's people to come and uh, pray for you. So maybe if you're a child, especially for children, let them pray for your children, that they would come to faith and embrace Jesus. You know, maybe if you're just going through some hardships, just pray. Let him pray for you. But this is a table of those who would confess and say that they need Jesus the way they would need food. They need Jesus more than food. You need Jesus more than drink. Because otherwise it's darkness.
If that's your confession, then we invite you to come. If that is not what you confess, if you're trying to live, you know, if you, if you have got some strong objections, strong doubts, we understand. You can come ask me some questions afterward, but this is a table to be taken in faith. We don't want you to do anything inauthentic to where you are in your walk. Just observe. Watch the people do it. It's okay. And so this is a table in faith. So let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take of it and eat. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take of it as often as you do. Drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim his death on our behalf until he comes again. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, I pray as we take and eat that you would nourish our faith, that you would cause us to confess our need for you, and that you would empower us as we go out to make you known to all the world. In Jesus' name, amen.